Good morning, New Life Manitou Springs. Oh, come on, that was like a golf clap of a good morning. Good morning, New Life Manitou Springs. Good morning. So good to see all of you. Uh, just a continuation of some of those announcements. Tuesday, we will be right here, 6.30 for an hour-long prayer meeting. I pray and hope that you know that I think these prayer meetings, as we pray over the city, are like us filling up our own tanks, the Lord filling us up so that we can go out and we can be salt and light in this world. And so if you come, I know that uh, giving up a night of your week is hard. Some of you with kids, some of you with uh, beyond full-time work, and we fill our days with stuff, but this is a really good thing to fill an evening with. Prayer right here Tuesday night, and we are, I, I think about the other announcement just being for, for this summer, is our kids camp. We are really excited about our kids camp. Less than a month from now, we're getting volunteers together where I, I told you last week to hand these out. We have these at the, uh, at the welcome table in the back. Get some of these. If you know families with kids, hand them out. Uh, we would love for lots and lots of people to come to this camp that don't normally come to church. We want to be a place where even kids that don't normally come to church, they, they know they'll feel safe and they'll learn about the love of God right here at our church during the day, June 12th through the 15th. So, are you ready to look at the Word of God? Are you ready to look at the Word of God? Okay, turn to John chapter, 1 John chapter 2. We are working our way through a series, and we finally got to chapter 2 of the book of 1 John. And usually, I, um, I, we usually get right into scripture, and then I get, get to telling stories and points. But I wanted to begin with a story today, because what I want to do with this sermon, I'm pretty excited about this sermon, is to try to explain salvation. I want everybody to leave here today saying, Okay, I could, I could understand what salvation is. I could put words to what salvation means. I'm not going to overly explain it. I'm not going to explain it like as if God is in a box. We're going to get let God be mysterious and let the ways of salvation work in our lives in a holy, mysterious way. But my goal today is to explain salvation in a way that we can understand it. So here's the story. Uh, years ago, I was a seminary student. I went to Fuller Theological Seminary. They had a branch here in town in Colorado Springs. And we would have professors come flying in and do like weekend intensives. And we had uh, just a great teacher. My favorite teacher of my seminary career uh, was this doctor, Dr. Charles Scalise. And maybe you've had, has anybody just, what comes to your mind is a favorite teacher in your life? Maybe an elementary school teacher, maybe a high school teacher, maybe a college teacher. Does everybody have a favorite teacher? This guy was my favorite teacher, made theology come alive. He taught systematic theology, which could come across as like, this is just boring theology stuff. He made it alive. He was always so excited. Think of like the Monopoly man with like round glasses, bald head. He didn't wear a top hat, but he was just hyper and he was always, always had a cup of coffee and he would talk with his hands and he'd be spelling it on laptops and students. And he was, he was from Seattle and he was, he'd always like make this like joke and just laugh hysterically. Like every class we had, he'd say, I'm from Seattle. We love our coffee. And, and by the way, any form of legal caffeine is allowed in this class. <laughs> and we would just look at each other like, is, is he on an illegal form of what is, is he okay? 
but he just loved it. He loved teaching. He loved systematic theology. And I was in his class called Soteriology, the study of salvation, the study of what salvation is and what it means. And he opened up this, this uh, class with about a two-hour, really exciting, wonderful lecture on what soteriology is. He explained terms like justification, sanctification, glorification. He went through the history, church history, of different movements and metaphors and atonement theories throughout church history. It was just a wonderful two-hour lecture. And at the end of it, he says, okay, now you know all these terms. You know what soteriology is. You know, you're, kind of, you're nerds now. You could explain theology. But could you explain it to a little kid? Could you explain it to, say, a six or seven-year-old? And he said, I have my grandson waiting outside in the hall. He's going to come in, and you're going to explain soteriology to him. And we were like, wait, what? Like, your grandson's been... Like, everybody was just kind of looking around, like, your grandson's been waiting in the hall for this two, like this whole time? Like, what, is, what in the world is actually going on right now? And he just left the room and went out into the hallway, and you kind of hear him talking, like another, you kind of hear a little kid voice. And then he came back in, the same guy, Charles, Dr. Charles Gleese, came back in. He had taken off his jacket, taken off his high, tie, put on a ball cap, turned it sideways, was bouncing a ball and acting like a six-year-old, came in and said, hi, my name is Lil Charlie. He said, my grandpa said you were going to explain salvation to me. And it was just a way, it was an odd, like this teacher's going all out. He might be hopped up on caffeine, but he's going all out. And he, he did not break character. So it was a class of about 15 people. We were like, hey, little Charlie, uh, so it, what do you do? And he's like, well, I mostly go to school. And, and, he, and you're going to explain the, it's salvation to me, right? And over the course of about 10 minutes, we took everything we learned that morning, the two-hour lecture, the soteriology, sanctification, justification, glorification, and we, we tried to bring it to a level that a kid could understand. It was a wonderful exercise. We are like, so, little Charlie, um, we're, we're going to talk about being saved. you know what you're saved from? And he was like, no. And so we said, well, well sin is when you, you, know, you do something that offends God. And we said, have you ever done anything uh, that would offend God? And he looked down and... It, this is all just like this acting. It was just a wonderful class. And he said, I stole a pack of gum last week and mom found out and I haven't given it back, but I ate some of it. So I really got in trouble. And we said, well, that was, that's like something breaking the commands of God. That's doing something that God wouldn't like. Right. And he got that. And we were able to explain, like, we, we think that we can do enough good things to overcome the bad things in our life. But sometimes that's just, that's just impossible. That's, that can't be the case. And so we need someone to do that for us. We need someone who is perfect to be a sacrifice. We went into the sacrifice. We, we used smaller words, but we talked about atonement. And it was such a wonderful class to not just learn systematics, but also to be able to explain it as to a child. And so today, I hope with the mysteries of what salvation is, is to not put God in a box. Because if a God is in a box, is that God? No, God, doesn't, God isn't in a box. So if you think you've got God 
all figured out. You can be sure that you're wrong. But what I hope to do today is to explain salvation in such a way that we can know it, that we can, we can really be able to explain it ourselves, be able to explain it to ourselves and to receive what salvation is from Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, would you open to 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 1, and would you stand with me? We're going to read verses 1 through 6 of 1 John chapter 2. It says this, John is writing to some churches, the elder John, and he says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. And we'll explain the context that came right before this verse where he's saying, I'm writing you so that you will not sin. But then he says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. And that that little phrase, we have an advocate, is the title of today's sermon. So John is saying, I write to you that you don't sin, but if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Verse two, he is the atoning sacrifice of our sins, not only for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys the word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, we pray to you now. We we say, Jesus, you are in our midst. And Lord, may you make salvation abundantly clear in our hearts. That we would walk out of here knowing that we have salvation, that you are inside of us. The atoning sacrifice mentioned here is covering us, has given us grace, that your mercy is over us. And so, Lord, we praise you this morning. We thank you that we could look into your word of God and know truth. We praise you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people shouted, Amen. 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 You may be seated. Point number one is this. It's a direct quote from what we just read. In fact, all three points this morning are direct quotes from what we just read. Point one is this. If anybody does sin, if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. If anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Now, what we're seeing here in the book of John is what many of us would call a circular argument. You know what a circular argument is? It kind of, it's, it's one of those mysterious things where, in this case, every point along the way is true, but they're kind of like different angles of the same thing, like, like almost seeming contrary to each other, but showing us a bigger picture of who God is and what salvation is. So we look back, if we look back in 1 John chapter 1, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, we have this phrase, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. So if anyone is like, I've never sinned, I've never done anything wrong. If we claim to be without sin of any kind, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So everyone, it says in another scripture, Romans, that everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Do you know this verse? So if we've all sinned, it might, like John is kind of, making this argument, you might feel like, oh, well, if everyone's sinned, everyone's doing it, it must not be that big of a deal. John goes on in this passage, 1 John chapter 2, to say, I'm writing to you so that you don't sin. So, so bear with me here. I'll say this a couple times. 
but maybe you'll be just as confused as me. So first he says, everyone has sinned. And if you say you haven't sinned, you're actually lying to yourself and you're lying to God. And then he says, I'm writing to you so that you don't sin. And then he says, but if anyone does sin, there's an advocate with the Father, Jesus, who is our atoning sacrifice. And then it says, if you know this one who is our advocate, you will keep the commands of Jesus and you won't sin. Is anybody else kind of like, wait, wait, what? Like, let's go back and think about that again. So he says, if, if you claim to be without sin, you're actually lying. Everyone has sin. So then you might be like, well, every, everyone's doing it. Everyone's sinning. Let's just go on and sin. But he's writing, it says, so that you won't sin. But if you do sin, what does he say? Well, then we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then he says, and if you know this advocate, well, then you will keep the commands of God and you won't sin. Can everybody just say, what? <laughs> right? Like, do you see this like mysterious argument where every point along the way is, of course, true, but it's, it, doesn't that just seem like the Christian life? I'm not asking you to raise your hand. My hand will be raised but doesn't that just seem like our walk with God? Like you're doing good one day. You're coming to church. Everything's great. Everything's wonderful. And then the next day you're stumbling and you're asking for forgiveness. And then you get up because of the Lord's help and the Lord's faith and grace upon your life. And then you fall again. And then you get up. And then you mess. Just, you don't have to raise your hand. I'm raising my hand. But you can nod your head. Doesn't that just feel like the Christian life, if we're honest. Like there's great days and there's hard days. There's days when we're like, we're following the commands, everything is going well. And then there's days where we're just slipping up. Both of those things are true. And both of those things, John goes on to say, we have an advocate and he doesn't want us to stay in sin. It's like getting back in the boat after you've fallen out. So this last week, I got to go white water rafting. Has anybody ever been white water rafting? See, I see Jordan over there. We've been white water rafting together. If you raise your hands again, that was a lot of people. Oh, wow, awesome. So almost the majority of us have been white water rafting at some point. If you haven't been, it's really scary and it's really fun. You should do it. And I got to go last week with my son's sixth grade class. Like when I was in sixth grade, I don't remember going white water rafting or anything. I just remember like a, a teacher who taught and we had to go to school and it was boring. But my kid's class, they go on all these field trips. They went fly fishing. He raised chickens. It's an incredible program. And he got to go, and it's a public school. And he got to go white water rafting last week with his whole class. And uh, we were on the bus ride going to the river and the river guide was just the quintessential Colorado dude river guide. He probably said the word dude 20 times and it was perfect. It was awesome. He was just long blonde hair, hat, like trucker hat, muscle shirt, just like straight out of Colorado and straight out of the river. This guy was like, all right, so let me tell you about safety, dudes. Can you hear me in the back, dudes? This is important stuff, dudes. Here's what you need to know. No one's going to fall out of the boat. No raft is going to flip, okay? We're going to be very safe. But if you fall out of the raft, 
or if the raft flips, I need to tell you what to do. And basically he said, get back in the boat. Was this like rule? Like if you fall out of the boat, get back in the boat. He had this joke that I still think is really funny. He said, if, you, if the raft flips and you go underwater, dude, you're gonna come up out of that water because your life jacket. And if you find yourself in a yellow room, don't worry, you're just under the raft. Get out from under the raft. Get back in the boat. Like that was his only rule. Like the safety presentation was get back in the boat was the safety presentation. And I think like that's what, what, that's what John is telling us. He's saying, I hope, I hope you don't fall out of the boat. I hope you don't sin. I'm writing to you so you don't sin. But if you do, get back in the boat. We have an advocate, someone who is going to pull us metaphorically in this weird analogy back into the boat. And some of you just need to hear that this morning. Some of you need to hear you've fallen out of the boat. Some of you might just need to hear, get back in the boat. Some of you would say, my whole raft has flipped. My life isn't what I thought it would be. You need to get back in the boat. Like John is telling us, and it's not you climbing up yourself. It's the advocate lifting you up back into the boat. Let me share with you this scripture again. I'm just gonna read it with, maybe you have new eyes now. First John chapter two, verse one. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we'll get back in the boat. Like the advocate will get you back in the boat. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only ours, but the sins of the whole world. And then listen to this. This is gonna be the next point. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. So point number two is that direct quote. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. And what I'm about to share with you, this point number two, is, is a bit of a challenge for us. And it's a bit of a challenge uh, for the church. And, and sometimes as a pastor, I feel like led by the Lord to, to give us a challenge, to, to remind us of grace, remind, remind us that it's the Lord's work in us, that, that, that we are saved, but then also to challenge us as we look at this word of God here, this sentence that says, we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. And something about being challenged and, and being uh, you know, told to, to man up or to woman up, uh, something about that, like, I, I think of, like, everyone kind of looks around, like, yeah, you guys need to, you know, you need to do this. And it's something inside of, I think all of us is human nature, like, when someone's speaking to a crowd and saying, hey, we, we need to do this, we need to, you know, level up, we need to follow the Lord's commands, I think there's something in all of us, my, myself included, that just looks around, it's like, yeah, you guys, and it's hard to, to take that step and say, wait, this this is for me. Like John here in 1 John chapter two, he's challenging not just you all, he's challenging me. And for each one of us to take that seriously, that God is challenging each and every one of us to follow his commands. You know, it's like, it's kind of like um, people, as, as a pastor, people come up to me and say, like, oh, that was a great sermon, very challenging. I need to send it to my friend who's struggling. Or they'll hear a message and, and, and say, oh, that's, that's wonderful, but you should really preach against this because the, the world or the church really struggles with this. It's, I think it's easy for all of us to say, well, other people struggle with things, and it's hard to look in our own lives and say, well, I struggle with this. I need to level up my faith. I need to walk in the commands of the Lord. I need to walk according to God and his ways. 
You know, every, every once in a while I do see people uh, that, that come up to me or I, I find out that people are struggling with something and, and they, they make it known and say, hey, can you help me with this? I've been struggling. Or can you recommend uh, help? Or can you sit with me as a pastor? Or could you be my accountability partner? Or could you tell me more about, we have something called Celebrate Recovery, which is on Thursday nights up at New Life North. It's all the congregations. It's a 12-step program for helping people out of addictions of any kinds, hurts, habits, hangups. Every once in a while, in, in, as a pastor, these beautiful moments come where the conviction of the Holy Spirit is upon us and inside of us, and we realize that we want to walk in the ways of the Lord and follow his commands. What I'm preaching about right now is to find delight in the law of the Lord. It's one thing to be told, hey, you need to follow the rules. It's another thing to love the rules, to love the game. Let's say you're playing a game and to to really find a a space where you just love the game because the rules are so clear and you're playing by the rules. And I think of um, different Psalms. You know, there's, there's there's 150 Psalms. It's my favorite book of the Bible. I often joke that there's a Psalm for anything, like whatever you're feeling. If you're feeling happy or sad or angry or really angry, or really, really angry. There's a psalm for that. You remember the old iPhone commercials like way long time ago? There's an app for that. And it was like a couple years after the iPhone came out and the iTunes store was just so abundant and there was literally an app for anything. And it was this idea like, wow, this, there's an app for that. If you lost your car, you need to find your car. There's an app for that. If you want to track your calories for a meal, there's an app for that. Anything you want, there's an app for that. So I often joke that there's a psalm for that. Anything you're thinking about, anything you're praying to God, there's a psalm for that. And what I'm saying now is to fall in love with the commands of God. And that's how you'll know if you're really walking with the Lord, if you delight in following his commands. I'm talking about Psalm 119. Do you know this psalm? It's the longest psalm of all the psalms, 176 verses. And every single verse, I think there's a couple exceptions, every single verse talks about how awesome it is to follow in the ways of God, the commands of God, the precepts of the Lord, the statutes, the decrees. It starts off with blessed are those, like the blessed life are those who walk blamelessly. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. And then it says, they do no wrong, but follow his ways. Lord, you have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. And oh, that my ways were steadfast and following your decrees. And it talks about, it goes on and on, 176 verses about how the blessed life is following in the commands of the Lord. So I have a question for you. And and don't skip past this question. Think about this. I'm not gonna have you raise your hand. This is a question between you and the Lord. It may be the most important question you've ever been asked. The question is this. Don't rush past this. When was the last time you felt that longing? The longing for the love of God, the longing to be with the Lord, The longing to live as you were meant to live with God. Don't rush past that question. Like, are you the person who who loves the Lord and you love the Lord's ways? And when, if you are that person, when's the last time you really knew that and felt that and desired to be with him, to walk in his ways? Because the Lord loves you. In this passage, it's talking about 
getting back in the boat. It's talking about being brought back in the boat because the one who does that is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is point number three. The final point of this sermon is this. He, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is a quote right out of what we just read. I'll read it for you again. 1 John 2, 1. Listen to these words. I've read them before, but it's, it, there's mystery here. We need to understand what salvation is. And John so clearly says it. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And then here it is. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The atoning sacrifice for our sins. He's the advocate. One of the best sermon illustrations I ever remember hearing was in high school. And I grew up in church and knew a lot about the Bible. And so at some point in high school, was really convicted to make faith my own. And I started going to a youth group. And the youth group had a retreat up in the mountains, and it was a ski retreat, and there was maybe 20, 30 other kids, and a couple youth pastors, and there was this night where the youth pastor said, I have a sermon for you, and the whole sermon is going to be a metaphor, and I'm going to describe uh, the, the judgment of God as like a scene out of like a, a court scene. And I, I had never heard this analogy or this metaphor before, and I thought he was making it all up. I thought he was like just brilliant. Turns out, like if you come to church, you'll probably hear, you know, the judge scene with uh, like a modern day like court scene. You'll probably hear that a thousand times, a hundred times, and so it's it's pretty common. But for me, like this is the first time I heard it. He's like, imagine the judge in the judge's bench, and he's clouded with mystery because this is God. And you die and you go to the the great throne room, the great court case of the Lord where God himself is the judge and there's a lawyer on the other side. Was it the, the, the prosecuting lawyer, the bad guy lawyer? He's the devil himself. He's got black hair. He's got a black suit and he's pointing out all the sins you've ever done before this whole court to see. He's bringing up video footage of sins. He's posting things uh, on, the, on the, the boards. He's putting pictures up of all the sins, the secret sins, all this evidence of all the horrible things you've done in life. And here you are with your lawyer. And your lawyer's wearing all white. And he has eyes of love. And it's Jesus himself. He's an advocate. You know that that, that Greek word, a really good translation would be a good lawyer. You have a good lawyer on your side. And he's listening. And the whole court is listening to the devil make these accusations. You know, the devil's often called the accuser. And he's making all these accusations. And then Jesus, your lawyer, stands up. And then he goes up and he takes the place of the judge. Can you imagine this just for a second? Like your lawyer then goes to the place. Like the audacity is like, who is this guy? Who's this lawyer? He goes up and he sits in the judge's spot, because that, who, that is who Jesus is. He is God the Father, and he is the Son. He is the judge, and he is the advocate. And so can you imagine that your lawyer, the one representing you, then goes and is in the seat of the judge. And he says, well, all these accusations, these are true. These things did happen. We have, you know, you, you, this person has failed. This person has sinned. And the, the, the sin has to be punished. And, and um, what's going to happen is someone needs to pay the price for these sins. And then the judge, who was also your lawyer, comes out and says, I 
will take the punishment for the sin. And so here in one person, Jesus, as I'm trying to describe salvation, it's like we have a lawyer who is then the judge who is also the sacrifice. And I remember hearing this as a young high school student, and it just made sense to me. Oh, that's what salvation is. I've been going to church, and I've been hearing about all these different things, and it just, for, in that metaphor, it was to me, uh, it made perfect sense. Of course I want to believe in Jesus. Of course I want him to be my salvation. What does it take? What do I need to do? Well, you only need to believe. You need to believe in him, your advocate, the one who is the judge, the one who is the atoning sacrifice as well. Would you stand with me? We're gonna pray. We're gonna go to the table. The band can come forward. If you're serving communion, you can come forward. I'll give you um, some instructions right now. But as you're standing here, would you take very seriously this question about following God. And Lord, we we come before you as we stand here and Lord, we pray to you. We thank you that you are the one who is our advocate. You are with us. You are walking with us. You are the one lifting us back into the boat. And Lord, at the same time, you are the judge. You are the holy, loving judge who is fair, who says there needs to be punishment, but then you get off the judge's stand and you take the punishment upon yourself. And so, Lord, in this explanation of salvation, Lord, we thank you that you are the holy judge. We thank you that you are the atoning sacrifice. We thank you that if we are in you, we will fall more and more in love with you, your ways, and your commands. We pray this in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm gonna give you some instructions now. If you're new to New Life Manitou, we celebrate an open table where anyone who says, I believe in Jesus, I want him to, to come into my life. I want him to be my atoning sacrifice. Well, then you can come forward. You don't need to be a member of this church. You can come forward and receive. You'll be handed the elements, the Christ's body, Christ's blood for you. Would you take the elements as you come down? You're gonna come down the center looking at the cross. Come back around and sit where you are and just hold the elements. Pastor Chad is gonna come after we're done singing this song and he's gonna lead us to receiving these elements. This is the gifts of God for the people of God. It's the body of Christ for the body of Christ. Would you come now and receive?